Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm so glad you can join me for another great episode this week on how to lead transformational change in your school. As we wrap up 2022, this will be the final episode of the year, and we're going to end things with a bang, folks, with a true heavyweight in school leadership. As my guest this week is Dr. Doug Reeves, the author of more than 40 books and 100 articles on school leadership and education. In this episode, Dr. Reeves will share insights from his most recent book entitled Fearless Schools. He's also going to share some exciting news about a new online PD series that's going to be offered in 2023 on grading reform with our friends over at Rocket PD who serve as the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. This five-part cohort is entitled Grading Reform Without Tears, and it's designed to help school leaders and their teams close the gap between theory and practice in grading reform. So if you want to participate, head over to rocketpd.com. This will be a good one for all of you out there that have an interest in thinking differently about traditional grading. While you're surfing the web, be sure to jump over to my new website at reimagineschoolsnow.com where you will not only find the podcast, but you'll find information about my new executive coaching program that will also launch in 2023 with our first ever Reimagine Schools Mastermind Group. I hope to have a link soon on my social media, so be checking at Dr. Greg Goins on Twitter over the break to find more information. Finally, I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I'm always amazed at how many of you out there Send me notes, emails, phone calls, or if I see you in person, you tell me how much you appreciate these episodes, and it's such a loyal group of followers and supporters out there that I'm blessed to have such a wonderful crew supporting the work that I'm doing here on the Reimagined Schools podcast. I hope everyone can take some time off, hit the reset button, and get ready for an even better 2023. So let's get to it. My conversation with Dr. Doug Reeves begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone. We are back in the saddle once again with another great episode here on the Reimagined Schools podcast. My guest today is the author of more than 40 books on leadership and best practices in education. A big welcome to Dr. Doug Reeves. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks so much for hosting this. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. I've been a big fan for a very long time as someone that works in the ed leadership space. And you know, to write 40 books, you know, it, writing those books is really a labor of love and how you find the time and energy uh, to write that much that often <laughs> and to make that big of an impact is certainly a great legacy uh, that you'll have forever. Well, uh, part of it is just living a long time. And and, and the other part is uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I've never had a sabbatical. I've never had a writing a vacation. I just write. That's what I do. It's like getting up in the morning and, and write. You know, for those that listen to the podcast on a regular basis, they know that my goal really is with this reimagined schools theme to help principals, superintendents, teachers really think differently about what schools today should look like. 
So I just kind of want to get your perspective on that. If, if you kind of go back to that first book that you released to where you are, you know, 40 some odd books later, how have you seen the education reform movement take shape? What are some of the really positive things that you've seen along the way? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that, um, and, and, and let me contrast the positive things with, with some of the things that I think are, are not working. The positive things is that I think um, there's a substantial amount of evidence that we make a difference for kids, particularly those of us who serve high poverty systems. My original research, the 1990-90 schools was about trying to understand how do we serve uh, high poverty schools? How do we serve rural schools? How do we serve urban schools that are uh, suffering from poverty? And, and that's the good news. I mean, even, even during the pandemic, I think there's substantial evidence um, that teachers and education leaders, such as you've taught, uh, really have have known that they've made a difference. So, so that's the good news. I think the the contrast is that we also have to be realistic about the fact that there's a lot of people who still don't believe it can be done, and they stereotype kids before they walk in the door. So, our challenge as education as educators and as leaders is to uh, ma make sure that we believe in those students and that we believe that we can make a difference. Um, and and the good news, you know, I. I don't mean to lecture you, but I'll, I'll just say that, that there are very specific and enduring understandings about practices that that do make a difference that leaders and teachers can do. Yeah, and I certainly want to get into those. Uh, you know, you're doing some wonderful work uh, around grading practices and thinking differently about assessment grading. And, and I certainly want to go there and spend some time talking about that. Your most recent book is uh, titled Fearless Schools. And this is probably my favorite just because, oh, you. you know, everyone is really um, – I've heard you re describe it as uh, psychological safety, and it's easy to kind of sit back, hang on to the status quo, do the things that have worked, and I'll do air quotes on worked, you know, over a long, long, long period of time. This old traditional model, you know, is still very prevalent, although there are pockets of innovation around the country. But this idea that uh, we must be fearless, we have to try new things in order to move education forward. Can you just talk about that concept a little bit? Uh, yes, sir. And 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 I I always need to, you know, any good researcher acknowledges other people in the field who have done research before us. Uh, I, I, I need to specifically acknowledge Professor Amy Edmondson at, at Harvard, who I think has done the groundbreaking work on this. Uh, and she did her work in the medical space. I adapted her work to education. Um, but I just, I, I always want to, whenever we talk about fearless schools, acknowledge Professor Edmondson, because I just think she's the, the pioneer in this effort. And the question that she asks is, um, which hospital you you want to go to? You want to go to the hospital with a high error rate or a low error rate? And I said, well, shoot, Dr. Edmondson, I, I want to go to that hospital with, with the low error rate. Wrong, she says. They both had the same error rate. The low error rate just swept it under the rug and didn't talk about it. So, so the essence of a fearless hospital is, can you talk about your mistakes and learn from them? Similarly, what I attempted to do in the book, Fearless Schools, is to say the essence of a fearless school is you got to talk about your mistakes. You got to make it a safe place to make mistakes in the classroom, a safe place to make mistakes in the faculty meeting um, for, for leaders as, as well. And I think too often uh, the the only thing that we acknowledge is the kids who have their hands in the air and the teachers and administrators who are always right. A fearless school is where it's okay to talk about mistakes. Yeah, and I think that's a great concept, and I certainly encourage our listeners to jump out and get that book and all the other great books that you've authored. But 
you know, I, I think about other think about the business sector, large organizations. You know, the business community pumps a lot of time, energy, and resources into research and development. So they have a lot of experimental things going on. In education, it's difficult to get a pilot project going in some schools just to see what's going to happen. Why do you think that is? So it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. I, I will share with your listeners the the single best practice. If somebody wants to take away something from today's podcast, single best practice that I'm seeing around the country is what we colloquially call the science fair for grownups. Um, so we all know what a science fair looks like. It's, it's, it's the little kids having having these three panel displays that cost $2.59 at Office Max. And, and the science fair for grownups is exactly what you said. It is where uh, we're willing to take a pilot project. Hey, what was my challenge? Maybe it was math achievement in ninth grade. Maybe it was reading achievement in third grade. Maybe it was parent engagement or discipline, you know, let, let the teachers choose. So panel number one, what's my challenge? Panel number two, what's my practice? What am I going to do to change the way maybe that I do grading, as you said, suggested, maybe change the way that I do homework. And panel number three is results. So it's challenge, practice, results. And if you want to make a difference, I want to challenge your listeners to in, in May of 2023, do that science fair. Because they're not going to listen to me. I'm I'm the outsider from Boston. They're going to listen to the teacher down the hallway in room 103 that'll show, show, you know, this works with our culture, with our bargaining agreement, with our agenda, with our budget. So seriously, if you want to have real research that has an impact, it's not going to be a federally funded million dollar study or anybody from Harvard talking about it. It's going to be the uh, the teacher down the hallway who says, hey, I, I showed here was my challenge. Here was my practice. Here were my results. So that's the, pr probably the, the best advice I can offer to any of your listeners. Yeah, and that's a great concept, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. You know, we, we talk about these pockets of innovation. I, we are seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing this uh, on the East Coast as well, around the country, things around deeper learning, project-based learning, design thinking. There are things that are happening, uh, but I, I think – kind of circling back to what your focus is going to be on really in 2023 with your professional development opportunity around grading. It seems like grading and assessment is really this uphill climb and a really heavy lift even today in 2022. So, so, so let, let me offer an idea for your listeners to um, about, about how to start the conversation. Um, I, I, I don't talk about grading. I talk about feedback. And whenever I'm sitting there with teachers who might be very resistant to the idea of discussing anything about grading, I, I ask them the following question. When you've been the recipient of feedback, maybe as a teacher, as an administrator, as a, maybe even outside of education as a student, what are the characteristics of the very best feedback that you've received? And every time I listen to, to educators, they're willing to say, well, Doug, I, I, want, I want feedback that's fair. I want feedback that's accurate, uh, that's specific. Tell, tell me how to get better. I want feedback that's timely. Don't wait weeks. You know, give it to me straight. So I use the acronym FAST, fair, accurate, specific, and timely. And then, then we can say, well, gosh, if that's what we want as educators and as administrators, then let's give that to our students. Fair, accurate, specific, and timely. And then, then we can start challenging ourselves about how grading systems that prevail today are different from the criteria 
of fair, accurate, specific, and timely. So I I I I think we we always need to start the conversation about what what do we want to have as adults that that's good for feedback, and then how do we provide that to our students? And, and you know, I'm always amazed whenever um, you know if you're in a room full of teachers and you ask a simple question, how many of you think that grade traditional grading truly reflects learning? Not many hands go up. And so everyone seems to kind of buy into this notion that there's a better way of doing it. But I, and this is just my personal opinion. I want to get your take on it. I think there's a lot of noise out there. And, you know, teachers hear about standards-based grading, competency-based grading, mastery-based grading. And it gets to the point where it's so convoluted that it's easier to do what I've always done. You, you your, your, your term of art is precisely correct. It is convoluted. You know, what, what, what happens in education all the time is that we take simple things and make them complicated. We and, and and so we have here's a 450 page book about how to do standards based grading better. And honestly, that that, that is why I have resisted that. I, I I don't even use the word standards based grading. I don't use the word competency based grading. I just use accurate and fair grading because that's what parents will accept and that's what teachers will accept. So let's get rid of the jargon. Let's get rid of the the, the complexity and just make it easy and accessible. And I think another area of, and I don't want to say confusion, but I, I think another area that kind of gets in the way is I think we use the terms grading and assessment in a synonymous way, but they're very different. Can you talk about some of those conversations you've had with people? Well, yes, sir. I, I, I one of the things that, that I think is really important um, is to think about what are really high stakes assessment. I used to be a pilot. So let me use that as an example. Um, although uh, the the other thing that we should consider is is uh, teenage drivers. Um, there is no bell curve on teenage drivers. The vast majority of them uh, pass their test. They may not pass it the first time. My my very smart son, the neuroscientist, failed his driving exam, but but eventually he he got it right. And and similarly, what what I want people to think about is. Uh, pilots uh, as I was you you want me to make all my mistakes on the ground where I'm not going to hurt anybody and um, and then after I make a lot of mistakes then we go aloft with an FAA inspector and 99.9 percent .9 of the time we have an equal number of takeoffs and landings because that FAA examiner doesn't want to die and so uh, so, so I think to your point of, of, of assessment uh, the purpose of assessment, is to help us be successful, not to separate the sheep and the goats, not to have a bell curve, but to have us be successful because we know precisely what the criteria are to get better and better and better. That's the way that we evaluate drivers, pilots, brain surgeons, lots of other people. It's not to have a bell curve, it's to help them get better and better and better, make a, make a bunch of mistakes, which surely I did, but make them where it's not gonna hurt anybody and then when it's time to be certified, then then you're successful. I wish we would do the same thing in ninth grade algebra classes. Stop the average, stop the sheep and the goats, and and instead get people to the point where they're flying the airplane, they're landing the quadratic equation at at, at, at the end of the class and, and and doing it well. I that's what we need to be 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 willing to do and 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 stop this notion that our job is to uh, is to separate people out I, uh, you know if if i could ask your listeners to do one thing 
It is to stop the average because um, the average is killing our kids and it's 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 really ruining our, our system. Hey guys, Dr. Greg Goins here, and I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. We'll get right back to the conversation after this quick shout out from our sponsor, Rocket PD. There's one thing we can all agree on. The days of sit and get PD are over. That's why my friends at Rocket PD have assembled the best experts on the planet on the hottest topics on education with a mission to create the world's largest community of educators committed to helping teachers and staff succeed. So prepare for launch by going to rocketpd.com where you can connect your team with the most inspiring educators on the topics that matter. It's professional learning fueled by passion. Visit rocketpd.com to join the Rocket PD community and download your free ultimate guide to K-12 PD. So join Rocket PD today and get the help and support that you've been searching for. And, you know, I've been blessed to talk to so many great thought leaders in education on this topic. You know, Alfie Cohn, Rick Warmerly, Tom Gusky right here in Kentucky. And just there's a lot of great work out there around grading practices. But it all comes back to just we need to stop doing the stuff that's most detrimental to kids. And I've heard you talk about just the, the toxic piece of, of grading that we need to eliminate. Things like the 100-point scale and That's giving it. kids a zero for missed work. I mean, if we just start there by eliminating the nonsense, it has to be a move, uh, step in the right direction. I, I, I really appreciate you mentioning uh, Professor Tom Gusky. He is truly the the global leader, not just a national leader, a global leader in this. And uh, um, it, it, it's funny because literally in a book that I'm writing right now, I acknowledge Tom um, in the um, in in the first paragraphs of that, because I think I think Professor Gusky is is truly one of the uh, gifts that we have. Um, what I also appreciate about Tom is one of his books. I, I it's always unseemly for authors to talk about their own books, but it's okay to talk about other people's books. Um, uh, one of Tom's books is "How's My Kid Doing," and I thought, you know, that title captured precisely what we need to do when it comes to grading not make it mysterious, not make it a 400-page tome, not make it a 20-page Board of Education grading policy. Just, how's my kid doing? And and Tom did that, I think, brilliantly. Um, so, so and and I, I appreciate also what you said about the 100-point scale. It's just, it's just a fundamentally, mathematically inaccurate way to grade kids. The old-fashioned way, which I go back to, and we've had 400 years of public education in this country, is ABCDF. I trust every one of your listeners to tell me the difference between A, B, C, D, and F. But you want to know what no of your listeners can do is tell me the difference between a 22 and a 23, a 34 and a 35, or where all the blood is spilled in 89 and a 90. So let's just go back to make it simple, A, B, C, D, and F, and describe with clarity in a way that everybody can understand what those differences are. And in Tom's fundamental question uh, that I so deeply respect is, how's my kid doing? That's all we want to know. You know, as you know, uh, there's a, a big push right now across the country for districts to create these portrait of a graduates. And they're defining essential skills that are imperative for 
for kids to master before they move on to the next grade level or upon graduation. So I've heard you talk about power standards uh, I, and I kind of made that correlation. I don't know if I'm exactly on the right track, but if we're going to take the time to create these essential skills and portraits of a graduate, shouldn't we find some way to do an assessment on those and see if kids have actually, uh, you know, get what we're selling? Well, it's it's so interesting to hear you say that because because what we uh, what you've just articulated is what I've called the standards paradox. Uh, there are too many standards. Every state, I'm one of the few people probably in the country who has read all 50 state standards. There's too many of them. Uh, there's no way, um, and, and this was true in before the pandemic in 2019, there's no way that we have the time to cover them all. That is particularly true now. The fundamental error of standards is that they are premised on the fact that every kid needs one year of standards. I'll bet every one of your listeners no student students who need more than one year of standards. So let's let's get that off the table first. We we can't cover them all. The other part of the standards paradox, in, is that and, and I'm I'm not a fan honestly of commercial programs, uh, selling portrait of a graduate, but I am a fan of teachers talking to each other, and that is if if I'm teaching eighth grade, and I'm driving myself crazy saying oh my goodness I got to get these kids ready for for high school. Then the question is, why not talk to a high school teacher? Because because they'll tell you um, there, there's not a standard in Kentucky or any other state called uh, ask for help before it's a crisis. There's not a standard called, um, you know, keep an assignment notebook that keeps your work organized. There's not a standard uh, that says take a project and break it down into its component parts. But that's what our students need. So I I, I think we really need to have honest conversations about what students really do need. I'll, I'll just say one more thing, and, I'm, and, and I apologize for the long answer here. Uh, I, I wrote an article uh, when I interviewed college professors and I interviewed um, employers. You know, what do, what do employers and college teachers need? And the number one thing that, that they came together on was they said, stop this nonsense that you got to get it right the first time. What we want is students who can take feedback. Um, the, 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 the big myth in K-12 is, well, you know, you got to get it right the first time. The real world, you got to get it right the first time. That is baloney. In, in fact, what you got to do is to make a mistake and get feedback. And then when you do get the feedback and you're told, rewrite the lab report, re rewrite the essay, uh, not call your mother and your lawyer and your therapist uh, actually, just rewrite the essay and and redo the lab report. I, I I fear that too many of our kids are not able to take feedback. So well, that was therapeutic for me. I'm glad I got that off my chest. And it was for me as well. That was very well <laughs> said and and very much needed part of the conversation. So, uh, you know, I'm very excited uh, about what you have happening in 2023. You have partnered with Rocket PD, who happens to be the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So big shout out to those folks. But you've created a new PD opportunity. The name of it is Grading Reform Without Tears. There will be five sessions. It begins in February. And if you want to enroll, uh, register, go to rocketpd.com. Uh, you know, you're going to learn so much from Dr. Reeves in this particular PD session. What was kind of the thought process in uh, going this route? Well, um, the, 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 as I said at the outset, um, I think the way that we give feedback to our students is one of the most powerful things we can do. I, I, I shouted out earlier to Amy Edmondson, also to John Hattie, 
I think feedback is one of the most powerful things that we do. But if feedback is going to be effective, it's got to be timely. It's got to be accurate. Got to be soon. So I'm I'm really distressed at how electronic grading systems have undermined the power of teachers. And if there's anything to take away from this session, I believe in teachers. I believe in teacher judgment. I believe in teacher professionals. I do not believe in computer algorithms that undermine teacher authority. So that's, if, if, if I could synthesize in, in one sentence what I, what I really think that seminar is all about, it's about believing in teacher judgment and feedback. And you're going to walk them through, you know, kind of those toxic grading practices to, to move away from some better alternatives and just really kind of a roadmap for what grading can look like if you reimagine it. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, looking forward to that. And again, you can register at rocketpd.com. Uh, I've enjoyed our time together, uh, but before I let you go, another one of my favorite books that you've written is about leading deep change. And I, I spend so much time talking to school leaders here in Kentucky and across the country about what change looks like and how to go about that process. Can you shed a little bit of light on, first of all, why is it so difficult to lead change? And then what are kind of the the tips or thoughts or suggestions as to how maybe to, to move that along so you can do those things that you need to do to make your school better? Yes, sir. The, 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 uh, the, the book is Deep Change Leadership and probably the most controversial chapter um, in that book is called The Myth of Buy-in. I think one of the things that is 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 stopping educational progress in our country is leaders who say, and I and I've heard this literally in the last few days, um, district level leaders saying, "Well, Doug, you can't really do anything until you get buy-in from all the teachers. If you wait for buy-in, we'll be having this conversation fifty years from now." And so, the, the fundamental message of that book is stop thinking that first you get buy-in, beg and plead and bring in the inspirational speaker and get buy-in, and, and then maybe someday you'll have change. The first thing is you do it. You do it, and then you have evidence of impact in your local community, and then you can say, I've got buy-in. And, and I got to tell you, um, that that's one of the hardest things I've ever written and one of the hardest things for people to hear but I am relentless about saying buy-in is a myth. What you got to do is get the change done, get the evidence of impact, and then you can get buy-in. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about uh, what schools look like post-COVID. You know, I, we learned there were a lot of good, it was kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly during the pandemic. But now on the other side of it, uh, you know, one of the things that I guess disturbed me a little bit was, you know, during the end as you can see a light at the end of the tunnel during the pandemic, uh, I heard a lot of educators say, we can't wait to get back to normal. And my response was, was normal very good to begin with? This is a golden opportunity to really change some of the things, some of the practices that had become stagnant, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, so what do you think the lessons learned from COVID was and how is that going to impact schools moving forward? I, I, I'm, I'm so uh, appreciative of the way that you said that. Uh, here's the question that I've been asking school leaders: um, If, if, uh, how is your schedule different today than it was in 2019? Because if your schedule, if your time allocation to mathematics, your time allocation to reading, is the same today as it was in 2019, you're like a toddler saying, "I can't hear you, I can't hear you," because they're pretending that COVID never happened. 
we have to change time allocation. We have to change the number of periods that we have in the school day. We have to give teachers the time that they need. Look, I, I'm a, I thought I was at least a, a pretty good math teacher, but but you send me kids who can't add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and say, Doug, teach them algebra. By God, I can do it, but I can't do it in one period a day. I need more time. And what I'm hearing across the country is we've got third graders who don't know how th their numbers and letters, they don't know how to hold a pencil. We have to give them more time. And, and, and I want to be really clear about this. It's not Saturday school. It's not after school. It's not summer school. We got to give them time during the day, which goes back to what you said earlier about power standards. Stop trying to cover every single standard. Stop trying to cover every subject. Teachers need more time. I uh, I know I, I probably sounds like I'm beating the drum on this, but for goodness sake, um, every 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 teacher who's listening to this broadcast knows they need more time to give kids what they need to catch up. Well, it's been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough, and I certainly want to respect your time. But before I let you go, I, I'm hoping that I'll get a little bit of a scoop here. What's the next Doug Reeves book that's going to hit the market? <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. I uh, so so I, I finished. <laughs> excuse me, a fearless schools, um, and and uh, fearless grading. Uh, right now, I'm working on fearless classrooms. What do we need to do in our classrooms so so that students can uh, cannot be fearful about making mistakes? Then the next one after that is fearless leadership. So I've got this whole series on fearlessness uh, that I I think is really important for our country in psychological safety. Well, looking forward to that as always. Thanks for your time. Merry Christmas to you and your family and, and safe travels. Same to you. Thank you so much. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As friends of the podcast, I hope you can give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, where you can learn more about my work as a partnership ambassador with the Modern Classrooms Project and also about my work with Brave Ed, where innovative school districts across the country are leading change through a benefits-based accountability system that allows school communities to redefine student success. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening and keep fighting for change in your schools.